And so we had these three different perspectives. It wasn't like one, 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 but sometimes we had more within the, I have no reason to do it, and a smaller number, and yes, we're going to do it. But after a while, we had a, a number of, actually not all in one meeting, but in a couple of meetings, we came out with, I think, six different perspectives. And this sailor became sort of our four strategies within the Golden Rule 7, meet them where they are. But it had to do with a corporate commitment. Does a company have a corporate commitment to sustainability at the enterprise level and embedding it into the, the brands and to the, the products? Or is it just that we're going to report on sustainability? Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Hope you're having a great week. Fall and winter's creeping up on us, so do all that yard work that you got to do or wherever you are, unless you're you're planting flowers because you're in the other hemisphere, which would be would be fun as well. I want to just talk a minute before we, we get on with our guest today. We've, we've been talking, we had a number of series with Jim Fava about the golden rules around sustainability, and they've been really good. His 10 golden rules have been very interesting. And over the past few weeks, Sofian has had its annual user conferences, both in Europe and in America. And I'm happy to report that among Sofian customers, sustainability is well in hand. It's something that they're focused on. It's something that they're making decisions around. So sometimes we have this question of, is anybody doing anything out there? Or sometimes the question is, well, is Europe doing it and America lagging? And it was really refreshing to come back and find out that no, customers around the world are, are really focused on it. So I preempted it, but Jim's going to join us again today. And <laughs> hiya, Jim. Hi, Paul. How you doing? How you doing? I'm well, thanks. And we were talking about golden rule number seven, and that was meet them where they are. And you offered some great perspectives on that. But what we want to do today is talk about it from the perspective of the innovator. So Jim, I'll turn it over to you to kind of kick that off. Good. Thanks, Paul. And I appreciate the opportunity to join you again. And this whole area of sustainable innovation uh, has becoming quite exciting and a lot of, a uh, lot of interest and a lot of opportunity for, for everybody. I'm interested in your sustainability well in hand statement. And I found that what's meant by well in hand may be quite have pretty <laughs> wide enough. range of uh, <laughs> situations. And one of the things I'd like to start this out with is a story that I think I've described the product sustainability roundtable. It ran for 25 years and it really was a leading opportunity for companies in Europe and North America to get together two to four times a year for a day to two and a half days to really explore what is this thing called product sustainability? What is it? Why should I care? Who needs to be involved and how do I respond kind of thing? And in, when we first started, a lot of the earlier interest was this, this term that had just started. It's called life cycle assessment, a tool to really evaluate the environmental impacts of a product from raw materials acquisition through to end of life, whether it's a landfill or recycling kind of thing, a cradle to cradle, cradle to grave uh, perspective. And I had chaired the U.S. delegation going to the ISO meeting, so they knew that I have a role to play in that. 
Then we talked about within the companies, what are they doing? One company in the chemical industry said, well, we're not paying any attention to it at all. And another company said, well, our CEO, this is a consumer goods company, our CEO was committed to this greener environment, sustainability. It was really early in the early days. So he's committed to talking about it, but we really don't know what we're doing and, and what we have to do yet, but we're maybe involved. And the third one uh, was a big uh, international company out of the UK. And their comment, well, our CEO is really committed to this evolving thing called sustainability. And we are going to go in and embed life cycle into our decision making. And so we had these sort of three different perspectives. It wasn't like one, 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 but sometimes we had more within the, I have no reason to do it, and a smaller number in, yes, we're going to do it. But after a while, we had a, a number of, actually not all in one meeting, but in a couple of meetings, we came out with, I think, six different perspectives. And this era became sort of our four strategies within the Golden Rule 7, meet them where they are. But it had to do with a corporate commitment. Does a company have a corporate commitment to sustainability at the enterprise level and embedding it into the, the brands and to the, the products? Or is it just that we're going to report on sustainability? Another factor in, in where people responding, is there any competitors doing it? If no competitors are doing, why should I care? If there's no market, at that point, there was a growing market in the green buildings market area, uh, where the green buildings, U.S. Green Building Council, the U.K., uh, a number of these have surfaced all over the world. And so there was a green building market. And so there was a more, third category's market. The fourth one was traditionally environment, health, and safety was if it's government requirement, we have to do it. And so you put it in the air, you put it in the land, you can't put it in the water. And so the government requirement became if there's something related to products, then we're certainly going to have to do it. So those were corporate commitments, competitors, market, customer kind of thing, and then government. But then the other two types of conversations we had was that my company, it's just, I just react. If the customer says that's a good thing to do, we respond. Another company said, well, we are really more proactive. We want to be ahead of what the customers are, are doing. And so this kind of debate went on for a couple of meetings and uh, companies would go back and talk to their peers and others within the company. And we started realizing that there were actually four levels of strategy. And this is where the golden rule seven came, meet them where they are. And so the first strategy was a compliant strategy. And you've heard about this in our previous podcast, it's, it's meets legal requirements. If I'm forced to do it, I will. And then it becomes more of a how do I do it as fast and cheaply as I can? It's really not a strategic, but just get it done, be compliant. The second one is really a market-driven, and this is meeting customer requirements. If a client asks for it, I will do it. And that's here and more of a reactive, so compliant and market-driven is more of a reactive kind of thing. The third level uh, that we had with companies was more of a engaged, competitive. And this was still similar kind of thing. If the market is asking for it, or I get customers who are beginning to ask for it, but I'm not going to be reactive. I'm going to take more of a proactive position. So I'm going to engage with my value chain and other stakeholders to really identify opportunities faster than my competitors are doing it. So it's more of an engaged, so it's more of a proactive activity. 
Uh, and the fourth um, strategy that we had talked about in Golden Rule 7 was shape the future. Here again, another proactive. Um, we're going to develop products and services for the market in the 21st century. And so these were the four categories that I, a company has from a strategy standpoint. And even within a company, who you talk to may have a different perspective on it. And I, I think I've shared with you in the past, but I think it's relevant to this conversation today, was a study that we did with a major multinational company in Connecticut. And we had met with the environmental health and safety folks. And the conversation was really about how to embed eco-design into the into their, their, their operations. And the environmental health and safety folks said, well, the way the company looks at us from environmental health and safety, they look at us as a cost. So if the eco-design could help them reduce cost, then yeah, we're 100% for it. But then we had two folks there who actually for the, from, from innovation are the technology uh, part of the business. And they said, well, if using eco-design we can attract new customers. We can generate revenue. We can maybe enhance the brand of our, of our products, or maybe we can mitigate risk. Then I'm definitely for it. And so that was an example, even within a company who may have a broader, more strategic strategy, you're still going to get different ways of responding based on the function within a company. So this, I felt, was really important to lay out to, to go back through these Golden Rule 7 again, because I think it really makes a big difference. I, as a product manager, what am I going to do and how I am going to respond? And so you get three different types of, you know, these four situations are, you know, typical situations. I got a, a company, you know, already has a commitment to sustainability and my job description speaks to sustainability. So I'm the product manager and I said, Somewhere in my job description, it says sustainability. Another situation is my company does not see any reason to commit time, resources, money to develop sustainable products. You know, there's no market. There's no compliance. There's no, no market kind of thing. And the third sort of situation is that my company is looking to embedding sustainability innovation, but it's not really done anything yet. We're not reactive. We're not proactive. We're maybe, but we don't know. It may happen kind of thing. And so I, I looked at these three and I said, well, let's maybe dive down a little deeper into those situations. And then so I, I came up in our way of thinking about how I as a product manager to begin to think about embedding sustainability into my, into my business practice and in, into my stage gate process. So as a way to start, or maybe let's stop here. Paul, any questions before I get into the sort of the three details? Definitely. I'm an optimist, Jim. So when I say well in hand, <laughs> I get excited, right? So calling me out, probably maybe well underway or at least underway. But I saw the <laughs> shift when you laid out the four strategies, compliant, market-driven, engaged com a competitor, and shape the future. I guess what I'm sensing is... Definitely a shift downward into, into the strategies three and four there, more so than the last time we had our customers together, which was about four years ago. I've seen a shift. That's encouraging, right? So my optimistic way goes to well in hand, but at least we can say it's a topic of discussion and people take pride 
in talking about it. So, yeah, let's jump into your these, these kind of three situations from the perspective of the of the innovator and, and go through them. I think that's a great framework. Yeah, no, I and I and I I didn't mean to pick on you or anything, but I just wanted to highlight all four strategies are fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with them. It's just important for the company and the product manager to know where their company is, and it may be different from at the enterprise level. And if I got a brand and who sells in Europe, who are going to be more proactive, or somebody who's who tries to sell products in California with now the the carbon reporting requirements in California, you're going to have a different focus than maybe at the, the enterprise level or another brand within the company at a different different region. So I think those are, are critical. And, and their final point before I go into the three, Paul, is your point that things have changed from three or four years ago. I mean, we have seen um, the example I had with a major chemical company, I think I spoke about one of the other podcasts, they had proactively put together some tools and had, got, had developed some training and education of the business units. And what happened was they were ahead of the curve. Now the customers are asking for it. They are right there providing the, the customers information in a much more proactive fashion than competitors. So they were proactive and they're now realizing the benefits of being that you know, proactive. So you're 100% right. The shift is moving and it's moving very, very quickly. So if you're going to be on board, you're going to get left behind. Yeah, I think that's the. I think you've you've applied that as well. Okay, the first one, the company already embraces sustainability. This is what we call the shape the future. And so my job as a product manager is really to begin to look at well, how what is the company doing at the corporate enterprise level, and where are their goals and so forth. So even though I may have a goal that says, Jim, product manager begin to look at incorporating sustainability into your your product and your, your your new product that you're launching. I think it's more than that. It needs to be a little bit more detailed. And so when you begin to embedding sustainability into the innovation, what does that really mean? And I think that's where the, the difficulty lies. And, and a lot of these examples I'm going to give you right now are not unique to this shape the future. It really is a way of moving through each of these four strategies, but at the shape the future one, it's really here now. You have to do it as a product manager. So the very first thing you need to do is when you're beginning to look at your product and your life cycle is really beginning to do the mapping, the hotspot analysis of, of your product. What are the materials that go into the product? Where do they come from, from a supplier perspective? Any of those are coming from suppliers in parts of the world where they have slave labor, child labor kind of thing, which could be a social uh, impact. What about is it use water or energy? So there's a mapping of that product in the early scoping and discovery stage of your uh, stage gate process. Um, and then you also need to look at the whole area of um, stakeholders, internal and external. And the one that we've been harking on recently that I think is really critical is the sort of the end of life. When you look at some of these situations associated with solar panels or even electronic electrical vehicles and so forth, the battery or the, the end of life of a solar panel when its useful life is over, or a windmill when its useful life is over, is not necessarily something that happens during the, the product stage gate process, but the design of that product, how it then is handled at the end of life, 10 years, 25 years in the future, needs to be taken into account. So this is where the stakeholder engagement early on in the 
in a, in a product manager in the shape of the future kind of a situation. So they need to understand where those impacts are and when they're going to occur. And if they're incurring beyond something they can immediately control, 100% control in the stage gate process and occurs after launch, then there's a need to really establish a tight partnership collaboration with the, the businesses, maybe recycling business or separation business, repurposing businesses that are out there to begin to build those relationships. So when the, that time occurs in the future, because the product manager still has accountability for that over the entire lifespan, that there's partnership in place so they can be dealt, dealt with when that occurs. So that's a, a key part, I think, the product manager's role. Two other things that I think are critical is just the, the regional aspect. Now, with more and more activity coming out of Europe, Asia has always been active. And in California, the regional the corporate climate data accountability act that's occurred. I mean, there's a lot of things that are happening. So you really have to, as a product manager, really reach out to what I would call the, the other internal functions in the company or even external. Internally would be, say, people like the government affairs folks who have responsibility for keeping track of what are the new regulations are coming. I mean, there's so many new regulations coming on almost on a weekly basis somewhere that your government affairs function, you can't do that as a product manager, but you're going to have to be able to, to link in with the, the government affairs folks, not only in your, your own country, but in all the countries that you're going to sell your products. So that is another key, key role to play as you're moving forward here. So I think these are a lot of the things that as you're in the strategy that really deals with shape the future, you're really going to be up at the, the, the cutting edge. And the overall message here, I think, is that now sustainability is going to be equal in the innovation process as safety and cost and performance and all. The, and so it's a co-creation situation. We've been using the word co-creation. And people say, well, we've always co-created in innovation. But now you're, you're bringing in not just safety and all the other traditional things that you look at from innovation, but you're bringing in the whole sustainability issue, the way you identify that by doing the mapping and the hotspot analysis, identify what are those key sustainability metrics that you're going to be able to incorporate in as you go through the whole stage gate process. So that's how I would respond as a product manager to the shape the future. Yeah, that's really, really good, Jim. I think that your point about product managers interfacing to other groups in the company and finding out who those groups are, right? That's, that's, that's a change. 10 years ago, probably didn't have to do that. If you're in a shape the future kind of company, get out and know those people, right? Form relationships with them. I think that's really some good advice. My perspective on, on, and it's funny, you mentioned sustainability being equal to safety and cost and these other things. And what's, it's even being equal now in some companies, especially the shape to future companies to revenue. Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we, we had a, again, a customer share at the, the recent user conference from a portfolio standpoint. If they're going to add in an initiative, they instantly can demonstrate for their stakeholders, and you mentioned stakeholders and how important they are, they can instantly show the stakeholders the impact on all of their portfolios, right? So, okay, you want to do this one? Well, our sustainability, our, our focus to sustainability just went down because we're not doing these five other projects 
that would have taken us there. So it's it, the maturity of, of companies in their processes. You talked about stage gate and portfolio. They're really getting mature processes, tooling, and really, as you said, putting sustainability in there. It's very important that you do that. The, the point of a portfolio was, was a good one. A lot of the companies now are beginning to do the portfolio analysis. It used to be they would do a focus on a product or a brand from a sustainability standpoint, but it's becoming pretty much clear that companies really have to look at it from a portfolio perspective. And I shape the future clearly are doing the their portfolio kind of analysis. But I think as you begin to look through the process from compliant to market to engaged, a company really, if they're really going to look at how to achieve the best benefits from operating from a sustainable fashion, they need to look at not just one product as an example, but look at the entire portfolio. And I, we shared before the example of a company in, in Germany where they have four different levels and the good, the Clint Eastwood kind of thing, good, bad, and the ugly kind of perspective. And they don't, they don't ever use that term, but I, it's how I, just, I think about it. And the, the, the products that are brands that are really good and good sustainability and, and are, they're really at a, a very good growth and commitment. The ones that are down in the sort of the bottom, they're the ones that are either going to, they have to fix or get rid of and the ones in the middle are different levels kind of thing. And so that's, that's part of the complexity in these big multinational companies. You have the corporate goal and the enterprise goals and so forth. But when it comes right down to driving it down to the individual product manager, then where I am and where my market is and is so different if I'm in selling in California versus I'm selling in Costa Rica versus I'm selling in Japan or wherever. And so that it's, it's hard to, to do a, a transition from a corporate goal and write, drive it down to the individual product without all those other factors. So to me, I think the product manager is probably one of the most difficult jobs going forward because they have to be not only on top of their traditional criteria they use, but now all these new sustainability criteria over the entire, not only the, the whole time of actually the stage gate process, but the entire lifespan of the product. Good insight. The second one, let's continue through here. The second one is really the company does not prioritize sustainability. I, if, if we have a, a government that uh, says, uh, I'm going to do it, I, 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 it's a compliance strategy. So I'm a product manager and this kind of thing. And so this is pretty much where my life has always been. When it comes to the product manager, I, if there's a government requirement, the, the government affairs folks tell me that it needs to be done and I will, we will do it. I will look at how fast we can do it and how cheap we can do it. I, I don't think, I know this may be totally out of line, but I, I don't think companies see that as a strategic strategy. They think of it as just the cost and the, the part of doing business. You got to, of course, you got to comply with government requirements. It's not an if, ands, or but kind of thing. So I don't think they see that as a, as a strategic perspective. They just think it's a necessary part of doing business. Although for this, this level, I think the product manager, based on what you had talked about earlier, Paul, I think is just critical. The compliance strategy, if that's what you have as a company, the market is rapidly, rapidly changing. I've seen it, Paul, you've seen it, and you're just what you just talked about at the earlier part of this podcast. It's changing very quickly. So as a product manager, the number one thing that I think you really need to do is to reach out to two people or two functions. One is the marketing function, 
for they to really get a better handle on what the the market is doing, even even just early early initiators in the market out there. The second one is the, I guess what I would call your government affairs group, like we talked about earlier. And I guess there's three like, when I think about it, is the procurement on supply chain. Are there any issues on the supply chain, particularly with the social behavior of suppliers in different parts of the world that may not impact me immediately as a product manager, but are things that could be surfacing that landscape out there on terms of what are new government regulations, what are customers, what are suppliers that might impact me somewhere, maybe not initially on my stage gate rollout, but maybe once it's launched, it may have an impact a little bit more post-launch kind of thing. So to me, that's the key elements of what I think about the compliance strategy if I'm a product manager. I really like that because I think there are people that are in that state right now. What I hear you saying, Jim, is be prepared, be ready for the change because it could come. It could come very quick. And so I, I think you laid out some great people to get to know, know those folks, be seen as somebody who's ready to act if they have challenges, right? So someday if the procurement person says, oh, I now have to deal with a supply chain, we have to uh, take a position on it or whatever, that they remember, oh, I'll call Jim because Jim and I were talking. He's the, he, he's the guy. He's the product owner and he, he's interested in this and, and he has ideas and thoughts. So I think I think it's all about being prepared, isn't it? Being ready, being prepared, doing the job, obviously, but when change happens, you could be the person as the product manager who can really lead a company through the change. Yeah, I like that, be prepared. I mean, I, I guess I was an Eagle Scout, so be prepared was our model. There so you go. <laughs> I guess that's kind of, kind of thing. And I guess people are so you're, I, I was an Eagle Scout. He said, no, once you're an Eagle Scout, you're always an Eagle Scout. Yeah, so that was, that's right. That's <laughs> The, the third category was just it's a, the market or engaged strategy. And I think when, you, when we walk through what had happened in the compliance strategy or in the shape of the future, this sort of middle market or, or engaged market is more a compliant, reactive and engaged is more proactive. I see a lot of the same things happening. The product manager has to reach out to the trade associations, to the marketing, to the supply chain folks. Um, but I think there's a difference in urgency here. Um, I think under the compliant, it's more of just peaking, making sure that you're out there and aware enough not to be caught blindsided. Here, you're really trying to gather that information that you can make a, a pitch as part of your business strategy for your, uh, your business case for your product that we really need to become very much a proactive on these sustainable attributes, whether it's energy, water, greenhouse gas, a variety of other things you might look at, because we've got a competitor doing it. We've got a customers who are asking for it. Governments are, are requiring it. And so you become really the, the accelerator, the, the person that can really make the business case that says, for my product, then this is what we have to do because of the competitors, the, the the, the governments, the customers and all that are, are demanding it. And we don't see this as being something we want to step back and be reactive to. We want to be a leader in this area. So this is where this discussion of, yes, it's happening. And so my, so the follow-on question is, do we want to be reactive and, and proactive? And 
more and more of my companies that I've been dealing with see it, well, we want to be proactive because if we just wait for other companies to do it, we're going to lose the market positioning we have. So when it comes to this, when it comes to market customer and um, regions and governments are requiring this, we have to be in a proactive situation. So that's why when you look at market driven, it's, it's strictly a reactive event. If a customer asks for it, I do it. But if we want to take a more of a leadership position, not ready to go to shape the future, disengage, then we have to be proactive. So I, the similar kind of thing, you need to know your, what the customers are doing, what the government's doing, what the competitors are doing, what they're doing and regent. And then what you as a company overall is doing, taking all that into account to really develop the, the overall position. So in all three of these, which are the four strategy levels, really requires a lot of effective communication, collaboration, and quite frankly, a lot of persistence to really see the vision and being able to communicate it, like we've said many times, not in the, the highly technical, scientific, engineering, sustainability language, but in the language of the business managers, which is often growing revenue, enhancing brand, reducing cost, and mitigating risk. And I think that becomes a very critical part of the success of the product managers responding and, and operating in any of these four different strategy levels that we had in our golden rule number seven. Yeah, Jim, let's just talk for a moment about, like you said, in this case, you can make a pitch because people want to hear it. And so if you want to up your education level, up your knowledge, learn more, there's so many uh, resources out there now. We've got, we've certainly got our series we've been talking about. We've got your podcast, but there are webinars, there are conferences. Just off the top of your head, what do you think people should, if they want to start to do this? Learning from others is a, is a big thing, isn't it? So what are some of the sources that come to mind for, for, from your your perspective? There's a couple things that have, I mean, in the last couple of years, the life cycle community, and I use say life cycle because it's when you, when, you're talking about a product, there's a lot of other activities out there related to biodiversity and things related to the overall organization. But it comes to the product of life cycle assessment is certainly one of the key tools. And so there's been activity through the International Organization for Standardization, ISO, that are writing standards on, on how you would do LCA and how do you incorporate that into carbon management or greenhouse gas reporting uh, or even product product design. Uh, so you've got that function. You've got a lot of life cycle assessment groups in countries, just like the American Center for LCA was on an interaction the other day, and we had a new book out, The Power of LCA. And we, myself and another gentleman, write a little summary on what LCA is, but not to the LCA community, to the non-LCA community. And when we posted it on on the uh, LinkedIn, we had like 8,000 views of it. So there's a lot of interest in, in that. So there is the, there's the country's groups. There's a group called the Forum for Sustainability through Lifecycle Innovation that I co-founded a few years ago. And that's meant to be a global group to reach out kind of thing. And there's also, there's a group that we did a life cycle awareness program over in Europe. It was called the Chemical Engineering Society. I'm not sure the exact words there. And they have like 6,000 members. And so to me, reaching out to the, the chemical engineers, the product managers, I mean, I've done a look, there was like 700,000 product managers out there. They have associations and committees and so forth that I'm, I'm sure that are very active. 
And I would, I would ask you to just sort of reach out to those and find out where in those larger organizations there are new committees, new activities going on related to product sustainability. Great advice. Great advice, Jim. Well, Jim, it's been a fun, fun conversation to talk through those four strategies and these three scenarios and kind of where am I? And as a person working in these, knowing where, where my company is, it gives me opportunities and you shared many different opportunities. So I think it's, it's really helpful. I think this would be good for any listener who A, can profile their company and say, where are we? And B, profile the kind of company strategies and think, okay, here's where I can make a difference. But is there any last moment things you want to cover before we, we put a bow on this one today? Yeah, Paul, that's good. No, I think your, your quick summary was a good one. I, there was three quick things I just want to, we talked about it. I just want to reemphasize them. One is that the demand for sustainable innovation, sustainable products is rapidly increasing and rapidly changing. I mean, you articulated that at the beginning, and it's been over and over and over again. Customers, consumers, competitors, governments, it's there. You got to get on board now, or you're really going to be left behind. Secondly, there is a, a proven process of life cycle mapping, hotspot analysis that has been, there are a lot of experience out there in the innovation process. You need to, you don't need to go back and reinvent this. There's a lot of information out there and there's groups out there you can band to reach out to just like your, one of your last questions was. So reach out to those groups. And the final word of caution is when you think about life cycle, don't get yourself in a bind where you're solving one problem by looking at it from a life cycle perspective, but creating another problem in the, in the design. And we talked about the Thunderbird Prius example. If you want to you know, design a product that's going to be 100% recyclable, then a, then a Thunderbird is good. It's made out of steel. It's all recyclable. If you want to make a product that's energy efficient, doesn't use greenhouse gas, then a Prius or an electronic vehicle is right. But it, you can't create one and you, and then by creating that, you, you create another problem somewhere else in the design. So it's just a word of caution. Just make sure you look at things from a life cycle perspective and don't just jump down 100% on one issue and, and without knowing what the implications might be for the, for the other. So anyway, those are my final comments, and I hope, I hope you enjoyed it and look forward to further conversations. Yeah, Jim, thanks. It's, it's always fun to, uh, to talk to you and hear your perspective. You, you always prepare for these and think through. They're, they're well-structured, and I really appreciate you taking time to, to think about it and not just shoot from the hip. Obviously, this is something that you know and love and, and, and love to talk about, and grateful that you join us for that. So have a great week, Jim. Take care. Thank you, Paul. To our listeners out there, hope you enjoyed that. We'll certainly stay close with Jim and have some we'll, we'll come up with some more things as he said it's it's an area of, of hot interest that's only growing so wish you all a great week everybody take care bye for now thanks for joining us this week for innovation talks with Paul Heller if you enjoyed the show please like and subscribe on Spotify Stitcher Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts for additional information on today's topic check out sophion.com S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.